0: Hello everyone. Good morning. Welcome back to the Secret Language podcast. It is your host Jesse and this week i gotta, I gotta say I'm pretty excited to to share this movie with you guys. Um, I've got a controversial opinion or at least what I think might be somewhat of a controversial opinion and I'm actually a little excited to share it because i'm really I'm really excited about this um it's been a little bit. Since I recorded and some things have happened and some things have happened that I'd really like to talk about. So that's exciting and then of course there's my controversial opinion on the movie which is also a little exciting. So without further ado let's jump into it. Um, This week I'll be talking about the 2011 film directed by Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes A Game of Shadows. The synopsis reads, there is a new criminal mastermind at large, in quotations, uh, Professor Moriarty, and not only is he Holmes intellectual equal, but his capacity for evil and lack of conscience may give him an advantage over the detective. Uh, This film has an average letterbox rating of 3.2 stars, and has a Metacritic score of 48, which is one of the lower Metacritic scores of all the movies that we've uh, watched that we've reviewed on this podcast. But uh, nonetheless, this is a kind of cult favorite movie of sorts. Um, I don't think people really care that these movies are not like super good that don't get super good critic reviews. Um, These are some of Matt's favorite movies. I remember seeing these several times growing up like when these were introduced to us and then like I think we ended up owning them on dvd and we watched them pretty frequently like these are movies that we watched often um and I gotta say I think these two movies Sherlock Holmes and Sherlock Holmes A Game of Shadows are some of the more widely seen movies among like everyone I know I feel like most people I know have seen these movies I, I mean, I could be totally wrong. I haven't, like, polled anyone to, to say that for sure. But it feels to me that most people have seen these. They're, like, very popular. They they did pretty well at the box office. Um, and I gotta say, I have conflicting feelings about this movie, Game of Shadows, and frankly about the original, just Sherlock Holmes. Um, and... It's never really anything bad, it's nothing like super serious, but I can't get past something in the way these movies feel, in the way these movies are, um, allow me to elaborate. These movies are very fun, I mean, without a doubt, like, very fun movies to watch, um, the actors are they've got great chemistry. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. basically just does his Robert Downey Jr. thing where he's like, "Hi, I'm gonna be snarky and charismatic, and you're gonna love me for two hours." And you know what? it works. He does his thing where he's charismatic and snarky, and he gives his little witty comebacks. and guess what? We love him. Jude Law is wonderful. He's very entertaining. I mean, Rachel McAdams is in it. She's great. I mean, these movies are just downright solid on the performance standard. Um, besides that, they are gorgeous movies. I, to me, I think that is like the most impressive thing with these movies is how immaculately dingy they look. I mean, the cinematography is perfect. It is it is perfectly clear. Um, the way they used the phantom cams for like the slow-mo portions of the film, beautifully executed. I mean, the the, the films are so easy to look at. They're so pretty. And the set design, the production design is mind-blowing. I, I cannot believe how much work and effort and time was put into making these movies. Because, like, we've seen other adaptations of Sherlock Holmes in the past. I mean, he's a popular character. He's in the public domain. So, like, you don't have to have permission from anyone to write a Sherlock Holmes story. You can just, like, boom, this is a movie about Sherlock. Or this is a TV show about Sherlock. I mean, you had the BBC show Sherlock. There was that show on in America at one point, uh, Elementary, that was, like, a Sherlock Holmes thing. I think House was meant to be, like, loosely based on Sherlock Holmes. I mean, there's, like, Sherlock Holmes is a very popular character, and it's seen a lot of different iterations and interpretations throughout the years, but the decision to say, no, nah, we're gonna go with, like, his original context, let's just let's just do 1880, 1890, and to pull it off, and, like, v- to visually pull it off the way that they have is so, so cool. Like, the... The outdoor sequences, for all I know, look totally accurate. I mean, I wasn't there in London in 1890, but I think if you had to say, what did London look like in 1890, I'd probably point you to this movie. I mean, it's incredible. It looks so, so good. And then, like, the interior scenes, the sets, like, the the rooms that people are in, whether it's, like... Sherlock Holmes apartment, or just wherever, they don't feel like sets, they feel like real places that, like, people actually live in, like, it just, it's so incredible, they're so realistic, and vibrant, and so beautifully shot, and lit, I mean, it's, it's so, so good, it's incredible, and I think that's, like, most of the overwhelming positives of these movies, is that they are, they're fun to watch, they're beautiful to watch, the performances are all good, um, and like, th- that right there, it makes for a pretty solid movie in general, just like, boom, we're not going to do anything wrong. But that doesn't change the fact that I'm still a little, like, conflicted and, like, vaguely uncomfortable the more I think about these movies, and I was trying to figure out Why? I was, I was sitting in my car on my way home from work, and I was just kind of rambling to myself, talking out loud, trying to like unspool my brain and figure out, why do I feel so uncomfortable with these movies? Why do I feel so conflicted? Um, and I think I figured it out. I think it's the action sequences. I think that is the root of the problem maybe not the root, but it's definitely the thing that like triggers it at first. Um, These movies are basically action movies. And that is like phase one of my hot take. These are just action movies. And you can say, "Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, look at them. It's like fistfight sequence, action sequence, set piece, a little conversation about the mystery, action sequence fist fight, set piece i mean th- these movies have a blistering pace there is barely a still moment in these movies it is like one thing to the next to the next to the next to the next and that's not necessarily a bad thing because when you think about it that's probably why these movies are so successful why so many people have seen these movies um Because they don't feel like detective movies in the way that other movies feel like detective movies. Um, If you compare them to things like the recent Agatha Christie films, like Murder on the Orient Express, or Death on the Nile, or, shoot, even Knives Out. Those are movies that center around detectives solving a mystery. And the way that those films build tension and build interest in the story, in the movie... Has very little to do with uh, the detective punching someone in the face and fighting four people at once. Um, they build tension through the aspects of the mystery and things shifting and changing, and you know, thickening of the plot. Um, these movies build excitement and tension by having Sherlock Holmes fight four people at once, and I'm not complaining about that because those those sequences are. Well acted, well choreographed, well shot. They're beautiful. Very entertaining to watch. But the thing is that it doesn't feel like that's like natural for Sherlock Holmes. Um, I feel like it's kind of like an, an unearnest approach to the character. And I was like, well, that's kind of like a high horse thing for you to say, Jesse. As someone who has tried reading Sherlock Holmes stories multiple times and has never finished one because it's fiction written in the 1880s or so and that's hard to read and I stand by that like would I like to take the time and read one someday yes have I done it yet no I have not so who am I to say that's taking an unearnest approach to the character fair point I'm not gonna fight with you on that you know what I'm not I'm not gonna try to defend myself there but if you think about it it's kind of a weird choice. If you think, like, think about the writer's room. Think about, like, trying to pitch this movie to studios or to producers or whoever, and they're like, we want to make a Sherlock Holmes story. Okay, interesting. What mystery are you going to solve? Oh, yeah, we're going to do this mystery, but um, he's going to be, like, an action hero. He's going to be really good at, like, fist fighting. We're going to do a lot of, like, cool action sequences and be like oh cool is he still gonna solve mystery yeah he's still gonna solve mystery great but like that's got to be such an interesting like approach the way that i talked about like ted last a couple weeks ago of being like oh yeah this is like a character that we have um let's give him his own show and make him the nicest person in the world they're like oh that's certainly a decision you made like to make him the nicest person in the world and I feel the same way about, like, Sherlock Holmes being an action hero. It's like, oh, that's an interesting approach, but okay. Like, sure. Knock yourself out. Um, and so I started thinking about that. Why does Sherlock Holmes as an action hero bother me? And I started kind of, you know, like I said, I was sitting in my car driving home, just rambling out loud about it. And just kind of, like, listening. It's weird. It's kind of like I got two voices going on in my head it's almost like the shoulder devil and the shoulder angel that you see in like cartoons except it's not a devil and angel it's like jesse and jesse and one jesse talks and just like talks and talks and talks and tries to like sort things out in his head and the other jesse is sitting there taking notes and listening and eventually when talking jesse says something that like light bulb moments with listening jesse jesse goes oh my goodness i figured it out it's a very weird scenario, but it's the scenario that often happens when I think about movies. Um, <laughs> I was trying to figure out like why him as an action hero bothers me, and I started thinking about the way that the screen time is utilized in these movies, like what is being focused on, and Talking Jesse made a point that said, the mystery doesn't matter. The mystery is the thing that drives the plot from set piece to set piece. You know, like, action sequence to action action sequence. The only reason those things happen is because Sherlock Holmes is trying to solve a mystery. And I was like... Figured it out. Lightning bolt moment. The mysteries are a MacGuffin. And now, if you're not familiar with the concept of a MacGuffin, let me explain. Um, A MacGuffin is... A term coined by Alfred Hitchcock, the famed director, and the guy who usually helped write Alfred Hitchcock's movies. Um, a MacGuffin is an object in a movie that the characters in the movie care about. It is the thing that kind of drives the plot forward, but we as the audience do not care about that object, and that object ultimately is inconsequential to the plot Uh, basically meaning that you can substitute that object with something else and the plot doesn't change. And you hear that definition, you're like, that doesn't make any sense, dude. What is that? Um, A very solid example of this. Um, Two good examples. Um, One is the money in the movie Psycho. If you think about it, at first glance, you're like, um, what money in the movie Psycho? But if you'll remember, if you've seen it recently, or if you just remember, um, at the beginning of the movie, Marion Crane, our, our female lead steals a bunch of money from her office. And then just like, she's like, I'm going to silently like Irish exit, quit my job, dip, get out of here. And no one's going to see me again. And so her dipping out of town, arrives, like lands her at the Bates motel. And then the story happens. And by the end of the movie, like the money ends up in Marion Crane's car that Patrick Bates sinks into a swamp. Like the money ultimately disappears. We don't care about the money. The money was not the point, but the money was the thing that pushed the plot that pushed Marion Crane into the plot of the story. And you're like, oh, could you have switched the money with something else? Could it have been jewelry or, you know, literally anything? If she stole something and left, then you're like, oh, yeah, that that makes sense as a concept. Um, Another good example is like Mission Impossible, the first one, where Ethan Hunt and his crew are trying to steal back a list of names of secret agents like real life names. And so that drives the plot forward. They are trying to break in and steal this list that someone else has already stolen. And you're like, "Okay. Let's say you take that object. That is the thing that sets all the characters in motion and you know, like allows the plot to happen. But what if you switched that list of secret agent names to like nuclear codes?" does it change the plot of the story? N- no. The, the characters could still be interested in that. It could still be the thing that they're trying to steal back from the bad guys. But ultimately, it changes nothing about the story. Um, and so I was thinking about this, and I was like, ha ha ha, I am a genius, smart person. The mysteries are a MacGuffin in these movies. And I started thinking about it. I was like, the mysteries happen, Only so that Sherlock Holmes and his good, good friend, Dr. John Watson, can run around and do action hero stuff. And then it's like we spend no time really talking about it. And then it kind of gets resolved there at the end. And that's the end of it. And I was like, feeling really good about this theory. And I thought I'd changed my mind, but now I'm saying it again. And I kind of like that theory again. Um,. I was thinking, like, what if you switched the antagonist from both movies? And you're like, yeah, I guess it doesn't really change anything. Like, what difference is the crime that Professor Moriarty is committing? And uh, I don't know. I think I've, I I don't think ultimately that they're a MacGuffin in the proper Alfred Hitchcock sense. Um, I saw an interesting video on YouTube recently from Studio Binder, It is a company that, like, sells screenwriting software to aspiring filmmakers. And they have these great YouTube videos where they, like, discuss plot lines, character arcs, you know, story writing elements, things like that, to kind of, like, help people. And there's a video about MacGuffins, and they talk about the Alfred Hitchcock term, which I defined and gave you some examples of. And then there's one, they call it the um, George Lucas MacGuffin. And that is like R2-D2 in Star Wars A New Hope, where R2-D2 having the Death Star plans is ultimately the thing that the characters care about that like drives the plot forward. But ultimately, those things are not inconsequential, because the plot is still Get the Death Star plans to destroy the Death Star. So, like that pushing the characters into action is ultimately still what the action is meant to resolve. So I think if anything, I'm I'm maybe half right in that the mysteries in these movies are a George Lucas MacGuffin, where it's like, yeah, really we come for the action sequences and we get to see him solve a mystery. In the meantime, because that's like why all the action sequences happened. Um, and this is a proof of concept, and maybe this is just me because I'm a bad person and I don't pay super close attention to stuff, and I don't think that's necessarily true. I'm being a little facetious here, but think about the Sherlock Holmes movies if you've seen them. Like, think about them. What are the certain plot elements of the mystery that you remember from Sherlock Holmes A Game of Shadows? Because I'll tell you what, I've seen that movie like. 10 times, and watching it again, I forgot so many of the mystery portions of this movie. Like, I forgot, like, what the big plot even was. Or, like, the little details. Because the way these movies approach the mystery is, like, Sherlock walks out in public and it just, like, zooms in, like, quick cut. Things that Sherlock Holmes sees and notices. And then eventually, at the end of the movie he's going to have a little speech and he's going to tie it all together. I'm going to be like, oh yeah, I remember seeing that for like half a second earlier. And like, that's fine. But it just, again, it kind of takes a somewhat unearnest approach to a mystery story. Like I said, it's not a mystery story in the same way that like Knives Out or Murder on the Orient Express is a mystery story or a detective story. It's, it's more like, mission impossible where it's like, yeah, we're going to still do the thing that we said we were going to do at the beginning, but you're here for the action sequences and we know it and it worked and that's fine. And I don't think these are bad movies. I think they're super entertaining and I will certainly be watching them over and over and over again. Still, like I gave this film three and a half stars, which is above average on as far as like the letterbox score goes which is way above what the Metacritic score is. I like these movies, but I think the approach that they took to telling a Sherlock Holmes story is imperfect. And that's fine. And apparently there's a third one coming out, which is like crazy late for a sequel. You know, it's like 12 years later or something. If it's assuming it's coming out in 2023, it's 12 years after A Game of Shadows. And... It doesn't bother me that they're making another one of these movies. It just bothers me because of that's the state of Hollywood that, and this is something I don't know if I've talked about on the podcast, I'm sure I have, where like studios are going to make movies that are safe. These movies came out 10 years ago and people loved them and they're entertaining and they were successful at the box office despite bad critical reviews despite, like, really lukewarm reviews, and they made a lot of money, and so studios are like, yeah, sure, we'll make another one of those, because it's safe, and I dislike that, taking a a, kind of sideways approach to a character and a story solely for the point of making more money, and, like, that being your cash cow, it just kind of bothers me a little bit, and that's fine, like, I'm excited to see the new one, I'll definitely go see it in a theater, It'll be a great time, but it's kind of weird. And that's kind of all I've got to say about the movie. Um, it's on HBO max. If you've got it, go watch it, form your own opinion. I'd love to hear people's thoughts. Cause I am admittingly like colder on this movie and these movies than most people because of my whole like unearnest approach thing, but I still really enjoy these movies. So I'm I'm interested to, to see what other people think about it. And, and that's the movie portion. I have not talked for like 23 minutes in the movie portion of this podcast in a hot minute. So, like I said, I was pretty excited to talk about the movie. Um, moving on to other interesting subjects... Uh, for the past month, some really interesting stuff has been happening in a subject that I am super interested in—chess. And I know what you're thinking: like, oh, thank goodness, Jesse! I've been waiting to hear you talk about chess again. And guess what? I'm here for you, man. I'm I'm happy to talk about chess just for you, humble listener. <laughs> um, on September 4th, in here in St. Louis, actually, um. Reigning world champion Magnus Carlsen was defeated by a 19-year-old American Grandmaster, Hans Niemann, um, who was playing with the Black Pieces, which is interesting only because it's really difficult to win with the Black Pieces. And after the match, Carlsen sends out a tweet saying like, hey, if I talk, I'm going to get in trouble. And then the next day withdraws from the tournament, which is pretty weird, kind of cryptic. Um, Carlson has never withdrawn from a tournament. That's a pretty weird thing to do. It's not like he was just rage quitting that he lost to a kid. He was just like, mm, something's weird here. Long story short, Magnus Carlson thinks that, or has some uncomfortability with Hans Niemann, because there have been rumors circulating around this young lad that he has been cheating for some time now. And that has been like the talk of the chess world for the past month. I mean, I hate drama. It's something I try to stay away from, but I cannot help myself from just like continuing to watch YouTube video after YouTube video of people talking about this chess cheating scandal. It's so interesting. Um, Chess.com came out earlier this week with a 72 page report um, pointing out the hundred or so games that Hans Niemann had cheated in on their platform as late as 2020, um, which goes against something that he had said that he had only cheated two times in his life. It's like, and chess.com's like, it's a hundred. Um, that doesn't say anything about the over the board game that he played with Magnus Carlsen. Um, there's still an investigation going on, there's a lot of weird stuff, but. Like, two days ago, on October 5th, the U.S. Chess Championship started. And now you're like, yes, I, I cannot wait. I'm so glad you're talking about the U.S. Chess Championship. Again, I got you. This is what I do. <laughs> um, and Hans Niemann won his first game with the Black Pieces. And I, I don't know what to think. I have no idea. Like, a lot of things that he does and has done is like, Super suspicious. It's a little weird. Like, he refuses to give interviews. He's just like, the chess speaks for itself. It's a beautiful game. I don't need to talk to you about it. And then in another interview where he suggested a move that was like objectively a horrible move. And people were like, does he even know what's going on? Is he cheating? And then he goes off and like, wins another brilliant game with the black pieces. And I'm like, so confused. The man is either a genius or He's cheating. And I don't know what to think anymore. Like I'm so confused. I've, I've consumed so much of this drama that I I don't even know anymore. But it's it's exciting. It's giving me things to think about and listen to during the day, and that's pretty good. So there's that. If you're not familiar with it, it is like creeping its way into very popular media outlets. Like the Wall Street Journal had things about. It. I think Stephen Colbert had like a little sketch a little joke about it. Like it's, it is making very big news. If you haven't heard about it, I'd honestly be a little surprised because it is like reaching people that don't care anything about chess. So there's that. And that's been pretty exciting for old Jesse lately. And finally, the news from Watford FC. (sighs) So when was it? It was like a week ago Tuesday so let's see let's check the calendar on that. Obviously I've come super prepared for this. Uh, Tuesday September 27th I it's like 8:30 in the morning. I'm taking my first little walk of the day at my office. I pull up Twitter and the first tweet on the top of my timeline says Watford FC have fired head coach. Rob Edwards. And I'm like, good grief, it's 8.30 in the morning. Now, obviously, it's like 2.30 in the afternoon over there in England, but still, for me, 8.30 in the morning. I'm like, good grief, I didn't need to start my day like that. That's depressing. For a lot of reasons, because when they hired the guy, they were like, we know the reputation we have for firing our head coaches all the time, and we're sorry about that we are going to stand by this man, quote-unquote, they said, come hell or high water, we're going to stand behind him. We trust him. We're going to give him the time he needs to develop this team. And as fans, the, the response was, awesome, thank goodness, like we're excited, we're happy to hear that, and we're excited to see how that actually plays out in real life. And he got 10 games of his season. He only lost two of them. He didn't win a ton, but he only lost two games and they were like, and he's gone. Here's a new guy. His name is and And I'm like, I don't, of course, I don't know any of these guys. Like the world of football managerial ship, managerial ship is probably not a word. The world of football managers is so big. And I know, I, I know nothing about it. So of course I've not heard of this guy, but I'm just, like frustrated that the team did that. And I'm very upset about it. Slavin Bilic had his first match as a Watford manager this Sunday, which was October 2nd. And the game kicked off at 6 a.m. St. Louis time, which is the earliest game I have ever seen. Like that is a noon game. That is really early for a soccer match over there. And it was on ESPN plus. I could watch it. I set my alarm, and I I did not get good sleep. And so I was like, eh, I'm going to pass on this. I woke up a little later, checked Twitter. Watford win 4-0 on the road at Stoke. And I'm like, oh my god, of all the games to not watch live, they win 4-0. Like, doggone it. Now, fortunately, ESPN Plus allows you to rewatch the games that they play live on demand, so, like, I did get to watch it, but frustrating to not get to see it live, it's exciting, it's like, yay, the new manager did good things, uh, they had a match on Wednesday, uh, they lost 2-1, they, they gave up a goal in the 98th minute, which was kind of frustrating, but, like, apparently, it was, like, a super championship game, where it was, like, The other team had six, six yellow cards. There were, like, four injuries. Like, it was a rough-and-tumble game. But, ultimately, I am trying to stay optimistic because uh, Slavin Bilic seems like a good guy. Seems like he can be a good coach. Hopefully, he still has a job by Christmas because... Watford ownership is ridiculous and I hate them but there's that um that's the Watford news they're playing on Saturday playing tomorrow and I don't know what to think about it it should be exciting I I just hope that it goes well um, that's about it um yeah thank you guys for listening I'm like I had such a good time recording this because I was like I want to talk about my hot take. I'm going to talk about chess. I'm going to talk about Watford. And like, that's great. I don't know why I don't do this every week. Because I'm lazy, I think. But ultimately, don't know why I don't do this more often. It's so much fun for me. Uh, And I'm glad you listened. Like, it makes me happy that I can sit here and essentially do what I do in my car, where I just kind of ramble to myself, but this time into a microphone fed into a laptop. And, and, like, you guys are willing to listen to that. And that is, like, super cool. So thank you, guys. Um, I am hoping to watch a little more spooky kind of movies for the rest of the month because it is October and is the only time of the year where I'm interested in watching anything, like, vaguely spooky, scary, whatever. I don't know. Like, I can't help it. It just kind of gets injected straight into my bones. And I'm like, cool, yeah, I'll watch a spooky movie. So hopefully I'll have some of those coming down the pipeline. I realized I haven't done a cinephile survey since like March. So I need to get one of those lined up. That should be fun also. And that's the news. So thank you guys. Appreciate you listening. Um, If you love this podcast, share it with someone you love. If you hate it, share it with someone you hate. I haven't said that in a little bit, but guess what? It's still true. And you know what? Until next time, guys, get out of here.